Welcome to Dangerous Christianity with Dr. Christopher Rodkey, where we explore new ways of being Christian that go against the grain, stands up against the church when it's evil, speaks truth to power, and reclaims the Bible as a radical message of hope, liberation, and justice. Dr. Rodkey is pastor of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania, and leads the sacred profane community, a post-faith gathering for those seeking to nurture a literate and misfit geeky, sometimes sneaky, as well as a queer-affirming and beer-affirming spirituality. All information mentioned throughout the program is listed in the show notes. And now, please welcome Dr. Christopher Rodney. Our scripture readings today are taken from Luke, the ninth chapter. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Now Herod the ruler heard about all that had taken place, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the ancient prophets had arisen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he tried to see him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I called someone from the church this past Tuesday, and we were talking about how hot it was outside. It's pretty hot. And I said it was snaky weather outside, and they said they didn't know what I meant by that. Come to think of it, I don't really know how to explain what I mean by that. It's just snaky outside. I guess it's a Pennsylvania Dutch phrase or idiom I picked up over the years. I guess it means it's so hot that you could bake brownies on the sidewalk, or it's a good good chance you'll see a snake or it's so hot that the the snakes even think it's hot. This got me thinking about the word snaky. When I was in Boy Scouts, one of the formative experiences I had was at an adventure base in Virginia, which it was in the middle of July. It was weather just like this. It was probably even hotter. At least I remember it being hotter. And uh, we did a lot of backpacking in my Boy Scout troop when I was a teenager we learned how to pack light. You learned how to go with the bare minimum um, and how to make room for food and water in terms of space in your bag and weight on your back when you're carrying everything for the week. There was an area of the camp that we went into that had signs as we walked in that said high snake area or something like that. Uh, That's not the sort of thing you want to see when you're walking in the woods. And there were in fact snakes everywhere or at least looking back on it, that's how I remember. Lots of snakes. Kids were finding snakes in their tents, in their boots, in their sleeping bags. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I don't do snakes. I grew up not too far from the river in Columbia, and we had snakes in our garden as a kid fairly regularly. But I don't do snakes, at least not in my sleeping bag. So I would get my tent set up uh, when it, I didn't set my tent up until it was dark out and I was ready to zip myself in as I went in. There were no snakes going to be getting it in my tent. And I closed the, the zipper behind me as tightly as possible and put stuff up against it so no one could even work their way in. And I did not get any snakes. But there was a kid in my troop who he thought was pretty sharp when he was on the trip with us. He thought he was pretty resourceful and he shamed us and teased us nonstop because he chose not to bring a tent. He only took a hammock and a rope and a ground cloth to hang over the top of the hammock if it rained. Now, I guess you can imagine where this is going. We would, he would constantly remind us how many pounds less his backpack was as we backpacked this 50 mile trip through Virginia in snaky July. When we got into the snaky area, well, he freaked out all night. Every time there was anything that, uh, hair on him that moved or a bead of sweat on his legs, he thought it was a snake. And we offered for him to come into our tents so he didn't have to be out there and he refused. He freaked out all night. And we kept telling him, you don't need to be out here and he just wouldn't do it. He was probably embarrassed that he emphasized and teased us all week for the 15 pound lighter load that he had on his back and he didn't want to eat his words. He wanted to be self-sustaining and not dependent on someone else. That's what this story of Jesus is about. The dress code of Jesus's followers sounds a little strange. Why would he tell his disciples to go out and minister to people without an extra coat or a bag or food or money? How, why would he tell them this? How did he think that they would live? Back in that time, there was a philosophy. It wasn't all that new, but it was still a relatively new idea uh, in that part of the world that had a cult following out of Greek culture that was called cynicism. Now, you have heard people say that someone is cynical, and that's where this word comes from, from this ancient Greek philosophy or school of thought called cynicism. Now, what we think of as cynicism today is not exactly what cynicism was then. Very briefly, the cynics believed and followed the teachings of a philosopher, philosopher named Diogenes, and they emphasized a practice of absolute self-reliance. They detached themselves from communities in terms of the relationships, and they believed in absolute individualism. Some practiced wearing little or no clothes. They ate out of the trash. They refused to use toilets. They were individuals who believed that organized society was the primary obstacle to happiness. He's often seen in paintings or in depictions living in a barrel or something like that. Cynics would travel and renounce their citizenship as citizens of the world. The more uncomfortable you are, the happier you must be. And for some reason, the artists always have dogs following them around too. And famously, we see this in many uh, sculptures that have survived. Uh, Diogenes is often giving the middle finger. Uh, and Diogenes is actually the first 
recorded use of the use of the middle finger. He may have invented that idea. So cynics were well known throughout the Greek speaking world. Diogenes' ideas had a lot of influence in the world of philosophy and later in different kinds of Christianity, especially the idea of people removing themselves or cloistering themselves as monks or nuns away from the world. But here, when Jesus says, take, take nothing, remove yourself from the world in terms of your goods, which sounds like a cynic teaching. So it's those that are hearing this first century would have said, this sounds a lot like cynicism, but Jesus teaches, don't go where people don't want you. If someone asks you to leave, leave. Accept hospitality when it's offered. Now the cynics were seen as, as, um, um, as a nuisance in that culture, especially around that part of the world. And people didn't want them there. They saw them as butchers or leeches on society. Jesus is saying, if people don't want you there, don't go there. Instead, accept hospitality when it's offered. And even further, Jesus is telling his disciples to not only ex accept hospitality, but expect hospitality. In other words, you're going to have to have faith in other people and have the faith in other people to rely on other people. In other words, you're not to be sleeping on the streets and be unclothed like the cynics. You're not to be a nuisance where you're not wanted, but go where you are wanted, rely on other people, trust other people, grow your network, establish communities of reliance and generosity. Some scholars have said that this is, that uh, in some ways that this is a way of saying, find patrons or financially middle or upper class people who are generous and accept their donations to you. But here's the thing. It wasn't so much about searching for wealth to start a movement as it was about having the resources to do the actual work that the first followers of Jesus were commissioned to do, which is to heal the sick. Seek out the wealthy or able patrons, but immediately go to the poor and the sick. And that's what the Bible says they did. But Jesus says, do not be self-reliant. Do not rely on yourselves. Be other-reliant. Be dependent. Seek out generosity for the purpose of furthering yourself, but furthering the kingdom of God. If you looked at the middle, uh, if you looked in the Bible uh, while we we're reading or you're paying attention to the text, the disciples did not just heal people, but they told them the good news while they were there. A good question to ask is, what was the good news then? When we think of the good news, we think of the resurrection. The good news couldn't have been the resurrection here because it hadn't happened yet. So the good news that the disciples preached was that the time had come to break down barriers and be liberated from oppressors and suppressions and systems of religion and economies and empires that cause violence. The good news is that you matter to God as an individual. God hears you, God touches you, God embraces you. God does not want the preservation of the social order. God wants what the Old Testament says God wants, which is justice. And at the same time, God calls and knows you by name. But don't be too individualistic in your living. Remove yourself from your personal wants 
your personal luxuries, your comforts. In some ways, this is a little confusing in terms of a message to people. This was a little nuanced and different than what people had heard before at this time. You are individually known by God, but God wants to cleanse yourself of your desire to be individuals, not to purify you in rituals, but to cleanse yourself of your desire to emphasize yourself, to look at the greater good for the suffering of all people. I don't know if you remember back in high school social studies class, you might have learned about something called rugged individualism. That's what we say is part of the character of American culture. You may have remembered reading the book Walden by Thoreau, right? There's something very American about individualism and not relying on anyone else. People are too proud to ask for help when they need it. In fact, even when someone needs the help, we often see in experience people shaming others when they seek out help. In American culture, we celebrate the loner. We celebrate the cowboy. We celebrate the, the righteous vigilante. And if we go it alone too much, we do what we do becomes about us in terms of other people's well-being. Have you ever read Batman comic books or watched any of the Batman movies? That's the whole point of Batman. It's actually a very sophisticated political commentary in its earliest years of the comics. Batman just wants justice for the killing of his parents, but he can't bring himself to do it with anyone else. And as a result, he isolates himself and it eats away at him. America is about individual success or failure. And you know, there's that old myth about if you work hard enough, anything is possible. And while that's tr true for some, it's not true for all. When a family can rack up a million dollars of debt to care for loved ones who are sick and then allow that generation or two generations after to be financially devastated, we're not practicing reliance on other people or expecting reliance on other people. This week, parents in our school district in Dallastown are, are freaking out about choices that they have to educate, their to educate their children during the pandemic. The Dallastown School District gave parents about a week to decide three options they're going to do. I think the decision date is Tuesday. Not far from here in York, some schools cannot afford to have choices. So while we are freaking out about having choices to make, York City Schools laid off something like 50 teachers. Here, the crisis is that we're adding choices, whereas just a few miles away, people are losing choices, are losing the people who actually deliver the education that the children are entitled to. Is this Christian reliance? Now, I know that this might seem as a little political, and this is a tricky topic, and the way we fund schools and manage healthcare systems is very complicated, involves many different factors. But when we aren't standing up to say something is wrong, we're not doing Christianity right. And money and economics aside, if Christians wanted to solve these kinds of problems, we could solve them pretty quickly or find ways of delivering relief to those in need. And we could do it uh, without a whole lot of effort if we really wanted to do it. Sometimes I think those of us who are economically stable or privileged are sort of waiting for the disciple to show up at our door. 
looking for help and support to do this work of justice for us. We're looking for someone to give money to, to do it for us. And clearly someone needs to be generous in this very moment. But as disciples of Jesus ourselves, it is our calling to go into the difficult places. It's our job to seek out those who are suffering. It's our job to hold the hand or touch the shoulder of the one who is hurt, to build up people in ways that makes them love themselves and love others, because Jesus has come to teach us that God loves each and every one of us. That's the gospel the disciples preached when they were healing. Even when the religious or social or economic or sexual order says you're not enough or that you lack something, God loves each and every one of us as whole persons. And even when things, even when these things bring you down, it's in spite of your suffering, in defiance of your hurting, and precisely because you cry out for God in dark nights of the soul, God hears you, God embraces you, just as you trust on others and learn to trust on others, learn to rely on God. The very next story after Jesus tells them about their dress code. Uh, we hear about Herod the client king, or more accurately to what we know, a tetrarch. It's translated as Herod the ruler, Herod the tetrarch, which is a client king or a governor of the occupying Roman government. He hears about Jesus, his name was Herod Antipas, who is intrigued by what he hears. But he's also saying, didn't I already kill that guy? And don't these people believe that Elijah is dead? Do I need to behead more of the religious leaders? From there, and where we go next time, is uh, the feeding of the 5,000. But it's awfully interesting that in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, who's writing this down, needs to point out to us that as the disciples are going out and healing people with good news, that, these things, that doing these things clearly had political complications or consequences. And that the stage here was being set for a confrontation with the political order. The stage was set for Jesus to appear before Herod for judgment in Jerusalem. Christian practice is to invite the friend who's outside in snaky weather who only has a hammock. Christian practice is also to accept the grace and hospitality that someone offers in snaky weather. And while we might not, while we, that might seem like a minor thing, it is in the shift in how we act and how we think that has the power to take down systems of oppression and collapse the empires that bring suffering in this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so be it. Thank you for listening to Dangerous Christianity. For more information about how to get involved in the movement, how to contact Dr. Christopher Rodkey, or where to find information regarding his preaching itinerary, publications, or how to make a contribution to his ministry, please refer to the listed show notes. Dr. Rodkey, again, would like to thank all of his listeners for continuously supporting and tuning into his work and message. Thank you.